pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is sort of a catchphrase that has worked its way into our conversation in recent years. You hear, you hear it a lot on talk radio, and certain social commentators seem to drop it from time to time. That phrase is, the war on Christmas. There's even a book out by that title, The War on Christmas. And it warns about a liberal plot to ban this very sacred holiday. Christmas lovers in this book are called on to boycott businesses that do not use the word Christmas in their advertisements. In fact, you're urged to stay away from people, boycott their businesses, boycott them if they should dare look you in the face and say, Happy Holidays. It has to be Merry Christmas or you just might end up on the enemies of Christmas list. And yes, there is such a list. You can find it by Googling the enemies of Christmas. There's a watchdog organization out there who is keeping track of retailers who are naughty or nice. Now, to tell you the truth, I'm a little bit confused by all of that nonsense because all of my life I've heard people complain that Christmas is too commercial, that Christmas is just about the money, that it's just about the marketing machine that drives it. And now some people complain that retailers are not using the name of Jesus to advertise their clothes or their toys or their power tools. But friends, I don't think we can have it both ways. The fact is, I think that there are certain companies out there that use really good discretion when they don't associate their products with Christmas. I mean, after all, do any of you want to watch the Cowboys game this afternoon and see a commercial that says, celebrate the birth of Christ with a Bud Light? I mean, won't you be a little less offended if you hear the person say, season's greetings from Budweiser? See, in other words, I have no interest whatsoever in engaging in a war on Christmas. And the reason I'm not interested in engaging in a war on Christmas or joining a bunch of other people who who get really cranky when people say happy holidays to them, is because of some words that the angels said the night Jesus was born. And I, I, I understand I said that correctly. The angels didn't sing that, even though we've sung it since. But they said these words, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. See, this season of the year is a time of peace. It's a time of joy. It's a time to give glory to God. It is a time to express goodwill toward other people. Now, the fact is, and I think most of us understand this, we don't necessarily live in a Christian world. Most of the people we encounter do not follow Jesus and worship Jesus the way you and I do. So the proper response to this is not to say, well, because you don't do it the way I do it, that makes you my enemy and that puts us at war. The proper response is to show the same love and the same acceptance and the same goodwill to them that God has shown all of us by sending his son Jesus into the world so that through him we might have life. Now, I've called this message series Mending Christmas, not because Christmas itself needs mending, but perhaps some of our attitudes need to be adjusted. 
And that's why we're taking a look at some of the scripture readings that have been read for centuries during this season, focusing in particularly on those readings from the Gospel of Luke, trying to figure out how we can better approach Christmas, how we can mend it not only for ourselves, but for everybody else that we come into contact with this season. So I'm going to take you back to some of the words uh, that were read to you a little while ago by Nancy Lanier from Luke chapter 3. It's the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet and he was a preacher. Uh, in spite of the fact that he didn't wear the necessary robes and stole, you know, instead camel hair and ate bugs and honey, it, the Bible says he drew a pretty big crowd. He had a lot to say about hypocrisy. He had a lot to say about religiosity. He had a lot to say about repentance. And he had a lot to say about good works. But the primary purpose of his ministry was what? It was to announce, to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, John had quite a following. In fact, if you were to go back to John chapter 3, there's a very interesting little story there. Some of John's own disciples come up to him and they said, Hey, John, that other preacher you've been talking about, that one from Nazareth, He's getting all of the attention. He's baptizing people now, and everybody's starting to follow him instead of you, John. John's reply was, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then he said seven classic words about Jesus. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Do you ever think about summarizing the entire life of a Christian disciple in seven words? Well, there it is. He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist captured the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower. He is to be greater. I am to become less. See, John understood that his job or his purpose was always to point people to Jesus to pave the way for the coming of the Messiah. And friends, there is a sense in which that is our job today too. That's our purpose, especially at Christmas time. But the fact is, with all of that craziness that sometimes surrounds this season, it's easy to miss, if you'll pardon the cliche, the reason for the season. It's easy to get lost in the, the external things, the material things, the stressful things to the extent that we miss the beauty and the simplicity of the Christmas message. Now, the Christmas message is very simple. Most of you probably have it memorized. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Christian message that God loves this world and everybody in it and calls us to live in peace and joy and harmony with each other. So rather than feeling the need to grab some greeter at Walmart or Albertsons by the shirt collar and shaking them good and hard and, and saying, for saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, today I want to suggest three other things from our text that would increase the presence of Jesus in your life and quite possibly would extend the presence of Jesus into the lives of other people that you are going to meet in these next few days. Here's the very first thing I want to suggest to you. Make a path. Make a path. 
Luke chapter 3, verses 4 and 6 actually quotes from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 4 uh, said, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, you need to kind of understand, what does this mean? A voice of one calling the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, if you go back into Old Testament times, even New Testament times for a while, if a king was planning to come and tour uh, his dominion, he always sent a courier out to announce that. And he would tell the people that they had to prepare the roads, clean the roads up, get them nice and clean. And, and in fact, it meant that if there wasn't a road, you had to make a road. Now, the Greek word for road literally means a beaten path. A beaten path. So it meant the king is coming, and if there's no area here, beat a path for him. Create a road for him. Now, what I'm suggesting here, and I think what God is suggesting to us through the text, is that you and I make this kind of path in our life. That we learn to build pathways between us and our friends. To build pathways between us and our families. To build pathways between us and Jesus. All for the purpose of having Jesus to be able to cross that bridge into other people's lives. And let's be honest. The paths in some of our family relationships are cluttered with debris from the past. There are some family relationships that's got all kinds of weeds and rocks and stumbling blocks to the point that nobody can get through. And at Christmas time, we're all around people with whom we carry some baggage, we carry some resentment or ill feelings. So I'm encouraging you as well as myself to make a path to make paths of reconciliation, to make paths of mercy or paths of peace or paths of right forgiveness. Make room for God to enter into whatever relationship you have. Make room for God to bring blessing and joy into another person's life. Now, how do you do that? Well, you simply do it by reaching out to them. You also do it by reaching out to Jesus yourself. Maybe some of us need to start by just beating a path to the throne of grace and beat that path so regularly that we know where it's at. And when we have that relationship with Jesus, we go out and we build paths between us and others so that Jesus can cross that path into their life as well. See, the more you prepare a path between you and Jesus, and the more you prepare a path between you and your friends and family, the more opportunity you have for Jesus to be glorified among those around you. That's the first thing. Make a path. Here's the second thing. Set something straight. Set something straight. Verse 5 says, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. It's a fact of life that there is a great deal of pain and a great deal of suffering in our world today. Now, we're pretty good sometimes at looking the other way for about 11 months of the year. But I don't know about you, but there's something about Christmas that calls our attention to people who are especially needy, who are in a need of a touch of love or mercy or whatever. You know, it's kind of easier to be generous at Christmas time simply because the opportunity for generosity seems to present itself so much more frequently in the month of December. So again, I want to encourage all of us to take advantage of as many opportunities to be generous 
this Christmas season as possible. I mean, and no doubt within your own tight-knit little circle, and certainly within our circle of people that we know here as First Lutheran Church, there exists people for whom the road is currently crooked and rough. We're called on as God's people, as Christ followers, to make the crooked road straight. We're called on to smooth out the rough places in people's lives. I had a a touching conversation with a father this last week who called the church, not one of our members. But he told me that in the course of our conversation that there would be two words that would describe Christmas in his family this year. The words would be panic and guilt. He said it's panic because he doesn't know how he's going to possibly be able to afford the Christmas that he thinks his family deserves because the money simply isn't there. And at the same time, it's guilt because he does want to provide something better for his family. Now, I can tell you, folks, I don't know what you would tell a person like this, but you you can tell that dad, you can talk to him all day and tell him how he shouldn't feel that way. You can tell him how Christmas is a whole lot more than putting out presents for your kids under the tree and on and on and on. But the truth is, Christmas does not look very bright for that family this year. And I think most of us probably know a family or two just like that. And the truth is, most of us are in a position to help at least a little bit. As you look around, you probably can see a lot of people who are traveling rough and crooked paths. And I'm not just talking rough and crooked financial paths. There are people whose road is rough because they're lonelier than they have ever been before in their life. There are people whose life is, their road is rough because they've experienced the failure of a relationship. People's roads are rough because for some people this might be the first Christmas that they're going to spend all by themselves. You know what? You can make a smooth path for some of these people. You can straighten a path like that out for some people. Every one of us, I'm sure, knows somebody who's hurting, who needs to be reminded of God's love and mercy and compassion, somebody who needs a a touch of tenderness, somebody who needs to be given a reason to hang on to hope just a little while longer. Again, my word of encouragement from Scripture is to look for the chance to set something straight. Here's the third thing our text tells us, and that is to turn on the light. Luke says in verse 6, And all mankind will see God's salvation. The key word there is salvation. That is God's message to this world, not just at Christmas, but all the time. And the story of Christmas is not about condemnation. It's not about guilt. It's not about judgment. It's not about punishment. The story of Christmas is all about love. It's about God's love for people. Now, before I said you all know John 3.16, God so loved the world. But do you know the verse that follows it? Do you know John 3.17? John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, friends, salvation, that's the whole message of Christmas. 
We need to shine a light on that message. I mean, the headlines shouldn't be that a whole bunch of Christians have stopped shopping at some store because they failed to put Christ into Christmas. The headline should be that we are announcing the salvation of God to a world that's desperate to be saved. That we're preparing a path for Him, a path of reconciliation, a path of forgiveness, a path of peace on earth, a path of goodwill towards others. And as His people, we're doing what we can do to make crooked paths straight and rough ways smooth. That's what the message of Christmas is all about. See, it's not our job to strong-arm businesses into doing things our way. The church was never intended to be some sort of economic force or political force. The church's job is simply to proclaim and demonstrate the love of God. And guess what? If that's the church's job, that's your job and my job too. We can pick up today where John the Baptist left off. To simply say, Jesus, I want you to become greater in my life. You will increase and I will decrease. Give me the opportunity to make a path so that others may somehow find you. Give me the opportunity to make someone's road a little bit straighter, someone's path a little bit smoother. Give me the opportunity to shine a light on you and your goodness and your love and your salvation. Now, my friends, I'd like to ask you, would you like to be able to do that, to do these things? Well, if your answer is yes, then I am going to give you an opportunity today because, as you see the next screen, today is the day of the big event. I am going to give every last man, woman, child, and baby this morning an opportunity to share the love of God in Christ with someone else this Christmas season. Go to the next slide. It's called the $5 challenge. Anybody want some money? Some of you do. I knew those two would. Well, the other one just woke up. God has been exceedingly gracious and generous to this congregation in the past two years. We have been able to put money back into designated funds. We have been able to pay our bills. We have, by God's grace, been able to build a couple of churches overseas. It's not that we are overcome with money, but God has enabled us to say we're doing okay. And so this morning, I want to give every last person here some of the money you donated this last year. I want to give it back to you. I'm going to give every last man, woman, and child here today $5. What I need right now is to have some ushers or some people who would be happy to help me do this to give away money. Courtney, never tell anybody that I didn't give you something. That's not yours, Derek. Okay, I want everybody here, just every man, woman, and child, make sure they get $5, okay? I'm giving it away. But then I'm going to tell you what you can do with it and what you can't do with it. So pay attention to me as the money comes. Go to the next screen. Here's what you can't do with it. 
You cannot spend it on yourself. If that's your intent, I'll take it back at the door. You cannot give it back to the church. Don't think, well, I'm just going to stick it back in the offering plate. No, I'm not getting involved with this. No, you can't do that. You cannot donate it to a charity. I mean, in other words, don't think I'm going to go out to Sam's Day and shove it in some thing where a guy's ringing a bell. You cannot give it to a charity, and you cannot give it to another church member. Okay? What can you do with it? Next slide. You can use it to intentionally bless another person outside our church. And if you can't remember this, by the way, as soon as the ushers are done giving the money out, I'm going to have them hand out a list of the rules, too, by the way. I know it's my, I know it's my wife trying to very hurriedly write this down. You can use it to intentionally bless another person outside our church, or you could combine your money with others to bless someone even more significantly. I counted at least ten Edzards back there this morning. Do you realize how much money that is? Can the Edzards multiply five times ten? That's 50 bucks. Uh, You can use it to make more money to bless even more people, but not by gambling. Not by buying, I don't know what a lottery ticket costs, but not doing it that way. Okay, go on to the next slide. Here's the deal. After you have done this, has everybody got their $5? Okay. Would the ushers also go back and hand out some of these things so that people know the rules? I'll take the excess money back. Thank you. (laughs) After you've done this, we want you to share your story. You can email it. And for some strange reason, here, Derek, if you'll help pass out some of these too. For some strange reason, the email address did not come out on the screen. It's green. But I have a special email box for you to email back your testimonies. Is called $5challenge at flctexas.com. Now, if you don't have an email, just jot it on the card and send it back to me. Now, some of you are probably already sitting there going, oh, man, I have no idea whatsoever what to do with this money. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're not alone. If you don't know what to do with your $5, just put it up in the refrigerator. Pray about it. Wait for the Lord to speak. Be creative. How many candy canes could you buy for $5? A bunch, huh? What if you went out and bought, I don't know, how many, how many candy canes do you think you'd get for 5 bucks? How many? 50, okay. And what if to every one of those candy canes you affixed a little tag that said, The people at First Lutheran Church love you and want to invite you to come for Christmas. And you just walked through your neighborhood and handed out those candy canes to the kids in your neighborhood or went to the mall and did it. That's being kind of creative. I don't know what else you're going to do. Now, some of you probably just wondering, why not a charity? Come on, Pastor, give us a break. Why can't I just stick it in the red kettle? Well, the answer, because you are the missionary. Put it to work yourself. Get outside of your box, that little Lutheran box you've been hiding in for so long. That's the big event. What do you think? 
Well, we got a little bit of money left. Not much. But I'll tell you what we're going to do with it. We're not going to just chuck it back into the plate. There's a fair number of people who weren't here today, and it absolutely drove them nuts because they couldn't be here and because I wouldn't tell them anything about it. Somebody else not got their money yet? Oh, give them that. There's a few people who need these sheets yet. We'll give them an opportunity next week. But I, I realize that um, word gets around First Lutheran pretty quick. I won't quite use the G word on it. But you might just want to say, come next week and find out. Because there are some folks that had really good reasons for not being able to be with us this morning. We're going to share that with them. And, and what remains after this is left over, and there may be a little bit, we probably gave away this morning, if we've got 130 people here today, what, $650. We've got a little bit left. And there are certainly other people that we're going to give this to, that we're going to bless them with at this particular Christmas time. I thank all of you for hanging in there with me on this big event. But it is a big event. It's an event where God says it's time to put your money where your mouth is. It's time to put your feet where you can actually make a difference in somebody else's life. I'm going to really be looking forward in these next days and weeks to be able to share these testimonies. And by the way, don't worry. I'm not going to necessarily attach your name to it and say, listen to what Ted did or listen to what Nancy did. I don't intend to do that at all. But as you share your testimonies, the email address is there. If you just want to drop a little note to me, give it to me. We'll share some of those testimonies. I'm just excited to see what God is planning to do with and through the people of First Lutheran Church. And parents, you've got a great and grand opportunity to to teach your kids some things, too. And I just have a feeling that uh, God is just going to do some absolutely amazing things. Well, with that being said, let's stand for our closing blessing and our closing song. Dear friends, may the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless us, keep us, strengthen us, and complete us here and now. Amen.